everyone. It's your host, Elijah Norris Holiday. This is the ADOS Podcast. Thank you all for always tuning in, sharing our message. Uh, quick reminder, we are on YouTube at the ADOS Podcast. You can find us also on Instagram, the ADOS Podcast. Um, last I checked, we, we do need some more followers. So please follow us on Instagram. We're going to be doing some giveaways coming up here soon. And you can be first in line if you follow us on Instagram to be in the loop on when we're give, doing those giveaways. So again, that tag is the ADOS Podcast. And we are on Facebook at, you guessed it, the ADOS Podcast. I have with me today, Christian McCleary. You guys may remember him. Um, he ran for city council in the Apple Valley. And I told you all we're going to have him back on again. I'm thinking he wants to be co-host. I, I, I think <laughs> I think that's what we're going to be working on, working towards. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I want to bring him back on and talk about his experience running for city council in Apple Valley as the youngest candidate in that race, 24 years old. Um, probably, I, I think there was a couple other 24 year olds that were running for offices throughout the state. Um, but definitely less than five. I know some of them personally, um, cause we're a part of an organization called NYDFL. Um, but I know for sure we had more than, more than two or three running for office that were 24 years old. So, I mean, that's huge. We got young people stepping into that field and making their presence known and, Christian actually got a lot of votes and support for his first time running for a public office. So I, I want to, you know, tell the audience a little bit about your experience, man. How was it? How are you feeling now? Um, let's get into it a little bit. Yeah. So the experience was, uh, first of all, the feeling was a surreal feeling. Uh, just to go into different meetings and different places and people recognize me in a grocery store like, you're that guy on the campaign sign, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. It's like, well, you look just like me, you know? And with my car magnets on the side of my car as I drove around the city, I had people slap their parents and like, it's him. Oh my gosh, it's him um, on the side of the car. So those are some beautiful uh, highlighting moments for me. And I think the overall experience has been amazing because I learned how to develop in so many different ways from as a as an owner of a business, how to develop as an administrator, how to take more time to really connect and involve the community in many different projects and stuff that I have going on, which is going to be ongoing. Um, no secrets, but there is another election in two years, and uh, you may or may not see me. It depends. Uh, I know the answer to that, but I want people to be uh, in suspense mode and keep following my social media pages to see what's going to be happening around the city of Apple Valley. So you're going to stay active. How many votes did you get? I got about 5,024 votes, placing me in second place out of new candidates. So the, the total race had seven candidates. The two incumbents um, beat everyone in the election, and they had about 8,000 votes, or 9,000 votes, excuse me. They had 9,000. And then the second person... Uh, Linda Garrett Johnson, underneath the incumbents, she placed around 8,000 votes, too. And then I was right under her with five. And um, I was like, wow, you know, I touched the lives and souls and hearts of 5,000 people. And that was a huge accomplishment for me. Of course, I wanted to win. You know, we all want to win. But it was still a win. And it's not about that. I just know that 5,000 people in the community was like, that is our guy. Mm -hmm. That is someone we want to connect with. We want to support 
as he grows. And the first 10 messages I received were, you got to run for the next office seat. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, some great motivation. I had this saying when I was in high school, and, and my friends, like, they hated me for it. They just thought it was, like, the cockiest thing ever. <laughs> and I just, I've always been confident my entire life. I, I I don't think that I'm cocky, though. I think there's, there is sometimes a fine line between being overly confident and cocky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I'm more on the confident side. I used to have this saying. I say, I, I never lose. Sometimes I just don't win. And they're like, what do you mean by that? If, if you don't win, do you lose? I'm like, no, losing is a mentality, right? I just did not win, but I didn't lose. I gained something from it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I improved myself in an aspect where I may need improvement, right? Or maybe I discovered um, an opportunity to improve something, or I discovered that there was a threat in my life that I needed to address. And if I didn't do this, I would have never addressed those things. I would have never had the opportunity to build upon it. To improve mm-hmm. myself. So, no, I, I didn't lose. I just didn't win. And, you know, the older we got, you know, I still have some of the, my same <laughs> friends in high school. You know, I've been best friends since, you know, freshman year. And the older we got, I still have this. I still say this thing to this day. I, whenever I lose in something, I always say I didn't lose. I just didn't win. Mm-hmm. And now they understand it now. They're <laughs> like, okay, you gained something from it. I, I get what you're saying. And I, I think that applies to your situation. Like, you didn't lose. You just didn't win the race. But you yeah. gained a lot. Yeah, and that also goes to, uh, first of all, let me say, the wisdom that you had at that age and to the consistency that you had from that age to this point now, I commend you for that because well, that's my important. Dad. Yeah. yeah, great yeah. man. My well, dad's a great thank man. thank you. <laughs> thank your family. Thank everyone who's a product of this make. You know, because for me, it wasn't necessarily my biological family. It's always been mm-hmm. role models and people that I looked up to in a community and work with. Uh, so I would say, yeah. Um, and I know I mentioned this of having a non-traditional pathway through education, which is why I'm a huge advocate for education now. But when I was getting my GED, I remember having a cohort of friends uh, in my same cohort who weren't passing tests. And they were like... I remember not passing a test, and it was like, Christian, did you fail your test? I was like, I didn't fail my test. I just didn't pass it. Mm-hmm. You know? I was like, mm-hmm. failing as if I said, okay, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything else. To me, that's what failure was. But I was like, what's the worst that I can have? What's the worst that can happen? I retake my test. What's the worst that can happen? I rerun for office in two years. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's been a, you know, like a driven piece of me. That's like, yo, you can do anything you want if you think about it and it's that way. I'm not failing. I'm not losing. You, you know, when you were just saying that, <clears throat> what came to mind was that you removed that barrier, that fear of not doing well, right? You removed that fear um, that a lot of people have that if I try and I fail, then I'm just going to give up or that I can't do it before I even try. And I try to tell people that are my age and younger all the time, it's like, dude, be okay with failing. Be okay with not succeeding on the first try or the second try or the third try. Be okay with falling down. Mm -hmm. Just don't sit there, though, when you fall. Don't (laughs) lay there and and lick your wound, right? Get up. Keep moving forward. And that's when you'll be successful. You know, and I think most successful people will tell you that. Very seldomly... 
does a person get something right on the first try? Especially when they're trying to shoot for the stars, mm-hmm. when they're trying to do something that no one's done before, when they're trying to be the first person in their family to go to college or to start a business, a successful business. They might have to fall down one, two, three times, fail one, two, three tests, and keep going. Yeah. You know, and it's all the mentality. It's about the mentality, man. And so when I'm having these conversations with these young people and people who are my age, my peers, I always tell them, like, man, it's, it's the mentality. But the, the struggle that I have with them is how do I get them to see past that, right? How do I get them to remove that fear factor that's in their lives? Mm-hmm. Because their families, nine times out of ten, are the ones that are telling them that they can't do it. That's the reality that I think we deal with in the black community, right? When we have these conversations, I always have to bring it back to how this relates to the ADOS population, right? How does this relate to our audience? And I think there's something that we need to address is that a lot of family members, whether that be your mother, your father, your grandmother, your granddad, your auntie, uncle, Mm -hmm. right? Cousin that you live with, uncle. Um, Sometimes those are the people that bring you down the most. Yeah. And they put that fear in you where you don't want to try. Oh, I didn't go to college. Who do you think you're going to go get a college degree? You think you're better than me? That <laughs> is a completely real thing. Uh, and I'm not going to speak for the general black community, but at least in my household, that's that's how I felt at times. Um, even when I moved here, I got some challenging feedback, you know, where Minnesota. You know, I, I heard people, you know, through other people and family, oh, he's going to go out there and he's going to fail. Mm-hmm. He'll be back home within a year. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been home since. Like, I barely visit home. But I <laughs> like part I, of the reason why? Just no, too much negativity or just no, traveling? It's, and it's, I mean, I never had, like, a, a passion to travel, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. My, my passion is doing things for others. You know, that's what keeps me going. You know, that's what, that's what lets me, allows me to go to sleep. Seeing people smile. I remember I used to ask my parents all the time, did you smile today at mm-hmm. least once? You know, something as simple as that. You know, because we don't necessarily realize what all the stuff we have going on, for one, is temporary. It's, it's always going to come to an end, yeah. depending on what that is. It may be stressful in that moment and really hard to see, but eventually it dies down and you get somewhat of a norm that you used to have. But... um. I I think a lot of that is hard, especially if you're a young child right now. So if you're a young caretaker, because I'm talking to you. Where's the camera? We're right here. (laughs) So you young caretakers out there doing everything for your community, you have to live your life too. Because I know you're raising your siblings, you're taking care of your parents, you're taking care of yourselves. And that is a lot of baggage, especially if you're around five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Mm. You know? And I understand... um, what that's like because I've been in that situation before and you are not alone. You always have somebody and it's only going to make you stronger. So I was, I wanted to talk and spit that to them really quickly. And you know what? That I think that's a, another good question we can pose or issue that we can bring up as well that I've noticed mm-hmm. in my, and, I, and when I say, you know, black people. I'm talking about my black family, yeah. right? Because I got a black family. So <laughs> I, I, I got one too. I think, you know, so you I think I can, I can talk about my family and be like, this is what I've noticed, right? And I'm sure there's other black families that have experienced the same thing, right? I can, there's a general culture out there that I think we can agree about. Now, it may vary mm-hmm. um, in, in degree, but I think the nature of it is still the same, if you get what I mean. And I think a lot of our young 
black males and females especially do have additional responsibilities mm. in the household to take care of their little siblings, right? Um, and if they're old enough to get a job and help pay some bills. I mean, I got friends that tell me all the time, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old, and my mom's still taking my paycheck. Or I'm 22 when I still live at home, and, you know, I'm, my paycheck is gone. Now, I'll kick in on the rent, but when the whole check is gone, what I'm, what I got left at that point? Because there needs to be groceries in the house or mom's, uh, you know, behind on the electricity bill or the Wi-Fi bill. Or you're a parent. You know? Yeah, or you're a parent too, living mm-hmm. in the household with your parent, and you know all your money is going. So I get it, right? I, I understand that you have to have those responsibilities and pay, but I feel like in our community, at least, mm-hmm. we put those responsibilities on our young people at too early of an age, in my opinion. I mean, 17, 16 years old, you, your whole check shouldn't be going to your <laughs> mom and dad, right? If you working, I commend you on that that you be able, to, you're able to keep up with your studies in high school and have a job. You should be able to go to the mall with your friends, post-COVID-19, of course. <laughs> go to the mall with your friends and buy yourself a nice pair of shoes with your paycheck. Or mm-hmm. hopefully you're putting some of that money to the side for college. But you should be able to do what you want to do with that money at that age. Yeah, that you earn. That um, you earn. For one, yeah. And I'm not trying to shame parents, though, right? I always have to look at things holistically, right? And I don't want to shame parents who have to be in that position where they have to depend on their child supplementing the income, mm-hmm. right? I understand that struggle. So as a community, as elected officials, how can we all come together and figure out how to build networks and cushions for families who are in those types of situations, where it's not setting them up to be dependent on government funding, but to be empowered and to uplift them, to get to a a place where they're financially stable, right? Mm -hmm. Because on one hand, I feel like we come in from the government standpoint and say, well, we're just going to give people rent assistance and we're going to give people SNAP benefits. Uh, But the second you make above that, that threshold of income, you're no longer eligible for those benefits anymore. So where's the incentive for uh, a single mother to go back to school and get a high paying jobs if that means she's going to lose her rental assistance and her SNAP benefits? Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly wouldn't, um, right? Being a logical person, if I'm getting rent subsidies and I'm getting food, why would I go to a higher paying job knowing that I'm going to lose those benefits as soon as I change my tax bracket? And, th- and this ties into <laughs> stimulus, you know, and stimulus benefits that everyone receives. So I am a huge advocate for based income. Mm. That that was something I was fighting for in Apple Valley, based income. You know, and some of the feedback I heard. And that's, that's a guaranteed based income? That's a guaranteed okay. based income. Okay. Which means, uh, yeah, of course you have to have some type of threshold for cap. But I think for the city of Apple Valley, I was thinking maybe like, a little under 50 a year. And that, that's per family? A family household that's income? That's a family household okay. income. Okay. And, you know, whatever the amount, different cities have different budgets. Yep. You know, so whatever the amount might be appropriate for that city may not work in another city. Right. But the reason I got the idea is because um, I heard about Stockton, California, which is a city people don't talk about. Um, but the mayor of Stockton is had some difficult times because they had to file for bankruptcy. And then he implemented a guaranteed based income model, and now they're one of the top cities in California. Hmm. And you, we know how big California is. You know? So you look like you're thinking over there. I, I, I am thinking because I, Universal 
income, different. Or, or or guaranteed base income. I'll be specific. Yeah. Guaranteed yeah. base <laughs> income is something that I I wasn't completely sold on. I think we're trying to pilot a program like that in St. Paul right now. Mm-hmm. I believe the mayor has implemented something like that utilizing CARES funds um, as kind of like the, the the testing funding source, I guess you can say. Um, to see if this this is going to work. So I think he has like less than maybe 400 families or something. I forget the details, but there's a small number of families. We're going to give them a, a base income mm-hmm. and kind of see what happens. I, I think it could work depending on the area that you live in, right? I don't know the demographics of, you said it was Stockton, mm-hmm. California. I don't know the demographics of Stockton, California, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm going to assume that it's not that big. Of a city, it's bigger than Apple Valley. It's bigger, bigger than that. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, I think they had about between eighty to one hundred. Eighty to one hundred thousand. Yeah, I'm that's, gonna have to do some more of, research on that. Yeah, my my only reservation, saying. my only reservation with this this approach, right, is that a are we expecting that the funds come from a general operating fund in the city, which means property property taxes, right, and other revenue streams are going to pay for that program Mm -hmm. in which people who may not be eligible for those services are paying for other residents to have that service and they're not eligible for it. I I just, I think that would be my only reservation of how do you address that when it arises, because it will, right? It'll come up at town hall meetings and city hall meetings that, hey, I'm paying X amount of dollars in property taxes and this is going to a program that I'm not even eligible for. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, and you're going to have pushback and kickback from anything. Um, I would say to that, one of the things that I put in my um, guaranteed-based income plan was it would be match-based. So we utilize um, residents who are willing, voluntary residents, okay. to um, donate to a fund like that. We want the city to put in a certain amount. We want schools and businesses to put in a certain amount. So it's not just mm-hmm. one-sided coming from one right. direct area. You know, it's like, how can we get people to voluntarily put things up for this specific need and say that we have issues because the people who live in our city don't have the resources, monetary or non-monetary, to live here, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's kind of how I viewed it. So I was like, if everyone, you know, had the choice to, you don't have to, but for people who would like to, they could. I mean, I think in a in a in a utopia in a utopian society, like that will work, right? Uh, and people would just be if they got extra money, they would be like, "Here, just take this." You know, here's ten thousand dollars. I got enough. Well, I'm not um, saying that. <laughs> that, that no, no, that that's that completely was... different. Let me be clear about that. Yeah, we're not just throwing funds out, right? Um, and I think that's because I, I see what you're getting at, and this is the business side. Mm-hmm. Of it. The mm-hmm. business side is. We want to even exchange. We don't want to just put money into a community. Right. And that's how city stuff works, too. Uh, it works just like that. It's a business. If we put this program out for benefits, how many people are actually going to utilize it for things they need to? How many think, you know, how many people are going to utilize it for, you know, things that will really help them within their families? And that's what I loved about Stockton. They found a way to do that because a lot of it went towards housing expenses, food expenses. There was some clothing costs that they had. And then a lot of it was something that I feel is underrated but overrated at the same time, Mm -hmm. which is medical bills and uh, insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, so we don't think about how many people owe companies based on like going to the dentist, 
going to the doctor, car insurance and things like that, um, that, that impacts credit. You know, but I don't want to go too far off right, there because right. I know I, we were here. Because I, I know we could talk about this like specific, like this specific policy or um, yeah, that's platform item. That's different for for <laughs> hours. Because um, I mean, and it's relevant though because I think even nationally, people are pushing for more uni- universal income, universal guaranteed income. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pushing for universal health care, right? So all these, all these conver- this conversation is relevant because it's happening on the national level. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these cities <clears throat> are trying to implement something to say, hey, this is what we've done. It could work. I, I just, I still have my reservations uh, about a guaranteed base income because I also want to make sure that we are incentivizing people to get an education or to become entrepreneurs, you know, to open up businesses, to help stimulate the workforce that we have and not just rely on the income that they're going to get, the base income they're going to get to meet their bare minimum needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I'm more in the position of like, I want to empower people. So I'm fine with doing that type of approach if it's going to be limited, right? For six months, if you're down on your luck, you lost your job, you have no other options. All right, for six months, we'll give you X amount of dollars to get you on your feet. But mm-hmm. you need to show us that you're actively looking for a job or you're trying to enroll in school or you're going to use some of these funds to put aside to start a small business or something and then we'll assist you to get loans and things of that sort to help you, you know, stimulate that. But it's like, I don't want to just give people money and expect them to do the right thing with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, <laughs> it does make sense. But nine times out of ten, if it's going to the people who need it, then they would use it for that purpose. And I think, uh, because one of the things I say, implement it now, let's work out the logistics later on the back end. Mm. You know, because, <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, of course, like these are real conversations that roundtable board meetings have. Oh, yeah. If we, if That's we why do I say this, it's relevant. This, it's, this, it's this all very relevant. relevant. Yeah. It's all very relevant. But um, one thing I'm starting to learn is, for example, if I was to, let's just say I gave you an iPhone. And you sold it. Once it leaves my hands and go to you, that's on you. No, you don't care what I do with it. I don't care yeah. what you do with it, but I would love for you to make phone calls. I would love for you to use it. I right. would love for you to do it to, you know, how I feel is best. But if that was the case, I should not have necessarily given mm. it to you. Mm. I should have just kept it. So you don't want any strings attached, basically. You're like, hey, we give you this money. We, we expect you to do X, Y, and Z with it. But if you don't, that's not up to us. Our job is to give it to you, to give you the resource, to give you the opportunity to do something positive with it. If you don't, that's on you. Well, if they don't, they lose it. Okay. You know? All right. So, so th- there is that. there, deep. And that's okay. why I said, you All know, right. a lot of the logistics. I happen. can buy into that then. If, yeah. If yeah. So I, I was like, that. we could work out logistics on the back end. But um, as far as just getting it out. And. And I, th- I think this is so important, like surveying, reaching out to the community and saying, what do you feel is best? Um, I know Apple Valley is a little bit different. When I had some surveys, some people wrote on my surveys and I love their honesty. You know, I live here because I f- could afford to. And I remember thinking to myself, well, there's some people who can't afford to mm-hmm. who live here. And I was like, I'm somewhat in that position, you know? Right. It's like I, I could, but uh, the reality is, what, I'm 25, I'm young too, trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. my fiance and I. So for us, who was like, yeah, this is a place we want to live, this is a place we we want to do these things in, but if we don't have additional support in order for us to stay, then we'll move into cheaper areas um, 
inner cities and different things like so, that. So I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. What do you think the role of government on a local level, let's be specific, okay. what do you think the role of local government is? Wow. So what I think is, what is the role of governance? And mm-hmm. I've been having this conversation for a while now, just talking to different people about governance in general. And um, what is it? You know, are we just going to meet for three to four hours once a month and talk about things? Or are we going to meet for three hours or three, four hours once a month? And then the next day go out and say, okay, this is what we're thinking about. This is what we talked about in our meetings. Mm -hmm. How can we, you know, what are some of your feedback? What are some of the things you're thinking about? And I think oftentimes communication is key. Because there's a lot of things happening within cities that people don't know about until it's too late or the deadline is already hit. Yep. So it's like, how do we get that information out and meet people where they're at? So that's one thing I learned about campaigning, especially during the pandemic. You have to do lid drop, you have to do emailing, you have to do phone calls, and still knock on doors. Yeah. You have to do all of those. You know, and I know um that that information just has has to be out there. You know what's something that's always ruffled my feathers? Uh, <laughs> something that's always just like made me like hit my head on the desk. <laughs> it's like these legislators, they come together and <laughs> they come together for maybe what once on the city level, it's, it's once a week. They have a, a, a meeting once a week and they mm-hmm. have an agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, you can't pack the entire city's problems on one agenda. Not at all. Uh, but you meet once a week. You may report out back to the community. You may not. That's up to you know this, this, the council and their staff mm-hmm. how active they want to be. But essentially, if you don't show up to those public hearings and you're not actively in the newspaper, and sometimes the media doesn't even cover all the nitty-gritty, detailed conversations that's being taken place in the council member or council meetings, and if you're not on their website, and some of those websites are hard to navigate, really and those meet, and I think we talked about that when you're running, like that's something that you want to fix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those meetings, they are record, the meetings are recorded. But it's so hard to navigate the website to actually locate the actual video to even watch the hearings. It's like you're just not going to have the information. So like and then the thing that always made me so mad, it's like once your job is over, once that four hours exceeds and Mm -hmm. you guys are adjourned for the day, it's not like the crime in Minneapolis is solved, right? Stopped. It's not like the gunshots aren't going off anymore. It's not like mothers aren't losing their sons, mm-hmm. fathers losing their sons and daughters. You know, it's not like people miraculously just have food in their refrigerator and they can feed themselves. And if they want a job, they can go get a job, right? And for me, it's like we meet so many politicians. And when I say we, I mean myself and my team that I work mm-hmm. with. We 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 have conversations with so many politicians and legislators, mm-hmm. and it's like. I always leave the meetings like they're going to go golfing after this <laughs> or they're going to go and enjoy a meal with their wife or their husband after this. And we have to go back into the community and continue to strategize and organize on how we're going to help feed people, mm-hmm. how we're going to help get people jobs, how we're going to help people keep their lights on. And they don't have that same stress. They're so disconnected from the actual problems themselves it just frustrates me, man. You even got some legislators who 
on the north side, on the north side, but they live in a pocket, a, a protected community over north where they're not hearing the gunshots going off every night. They don't hear the sirens going up and down the streets mm-hmm. and the ambulances coming to pick up bodies of our black and brown children in the streets. They're not there. We are. I, what I would say to that, what will say to that is, um, to me, yeah, yeah, I I get it though. And I know that's some heavy stuff. My no, bad. No, I no, had that in my heart. I just no, had to. You better pour it out. <laughs> Leave it out on the Ados podcast. Only on the Ados podcast, where you can see a lot of these things. Um, but yeah, no, because it is passionate, and if you're doing it here, I'm doing it at home and in the community. If we're both doing it that way. There's other people doing it that way, too. I would say um, I'm not going to really say all of them because there are a lot of them, especially in St. Paul, who oh, yeah. I work with directly and we talk all the time. And they sometimes wake me up at late night saying, we got to, you know, we got to get active. We got to activate. We got to do this, you know. And um, what I think about is like the more exposure that they get, the more responsibilities and obligations they receive. Same thing. The more money you make, the more money you spend. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the way I look at it. And it's really hard to be consistent as some of the problems because once you get in those seats, you then get connected to state resources too, not just city resources. You know, it, it becomes a state resource thing too. And then now you have different egos and different personalities mm-hmm. and if I if I go this way, if I decision make this way, my community is going to be upset, but it's in their best interest. And that's why I'm always highlighting like communication. But you're right. We need more people at public hearings. We need more people's voices. We need cities to have sustainability committees. Yeah. If you don't have a committee, you know, discussing how your city is going to go moving forward for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years, then you should probably get one. Right, and when they and they have those um, CIP or comprehensive improvement plans, CIPs, mm-hmm. um, capital improvement plans, comprehensive plans, whatever. They all mean the same thing. It's just a bunch of public admin jargon. Yep. Uh, but essentially, they're just plan their their plans for what the city, what they want the city to look like or be like for the residents twenty, thirty years down the line. So St. Paul has their comprehensive plan mm-hmm. for twenty forty, I believe. Um, and then Minneapolis has their comprehensive plan for 2040. But it's like even in that process, though, I've, I've talking with people in the community and they don't even know what that is. They don't even know what a comprehensive plan is. And I've had conversations with at least 20 in both parts. Because I'm, I'm all over the place. I've, mm-hmm. I'm from St. Paul, but I do work in Minneapolis and in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly having conversations with people on a day to day basis. And I always bring these things up. Like, are you familiar with a comprehensive plan? Do you know what that is? No, explain it to me. And I tell them what it is. Like, have you heard of that before? Like, well, now that you mentioned it, like I maybe have seen that when I was on the website, but yeah. I never knew what exactly what it was. And I didn't think to go into read into detail about it. So it's like on one hand, it's like, and then when I ask you that question, like, what is the role of local government? Is it to overly communicate with people in the community? Um, is it to actually intervene when there is a, a discrepancy in the information that they're receiving, right? Is, is that their role to show up at people's houses and say, here's what we're doing. Here's a sheet. Here's a time that we're meeting at. We want you to be there. At least send mail. You know, that's or at least, a, sending in, at least send it in the mail. So they can at least say, 
Yeah, we put it up on our website, but we also sent a flyer out there, mm -hmm. right? We also uh, sent a letter in the mail to every resident with the new zip codes. Um, so they do have the information that's accessible to them because most people check their mailboxes, mm -hmm. right? They, they may not be online. They may not know how to navigate the different websites, but they can look at a flyer and read that. Mm -hmm. um, now, if they toss in the trash, it's on them. But I at least want to see them overly communicating. I think that's what the role of local government is. It's just to overly communicate what's happening in the city to its residents. Yeah, to problem solve, <laughs> essentially. You know, and that's if we're if we're not receiving the feedback and taking what people are saying, because um, I know they're people are passionate about a lot mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. They are just super passionate. And the reality is we can't address every single need because it's individually specific at times. But when it becomes more than an individual specific need, that's the time we step up as leaders, as legislators to say, let's implement a policy, let's implement a plan, but get that direct feedback from them because this is the people who are bringing it to our attention. Yeah. So let's include them on these discussions. Let's get them, let's give them a stipend to attend meetings or something like that. You that, know? that that's what I was going to say. We need to figure out creative ways to pay people for their time. I'm not worried about the passionate people, mm -hmm. right? If we're talking about anything that's criminal justice reform, economic development, um, planning commissions, if we're talking about any of those types of things, really anything that's politically related at all, I'm there. Mm -hmm. I want to be there. I, and I, you don't got to pay me for that, right? That That's how I continue to fill my cup, mm -hmm. right? But I'm talking about the people who are not passionate. Because everyone's not going to show up with that same level of passion. Yeah, we need that buy-in. We need engagement. Right, right. We need engagement. How do we get people who are turned off completely by any types of politics, not just at the national level, but local as well? Because they just don't have trust in government. I don't care if you're city council. I don't care if you're county commissioner, who I may not even know what that is. <laughs> um, how do you want me to show up and I don't even know who you are, Right. I may have checked your name because you had DFL behind it or GOP behind it, but I don't or know you. Near it. Or incumbent near it. But I don't know you. You never came and knocked on my door to talk to me outside of you campaigning. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I haven't seen you. So how do I, how am I supposed to trust you and show up to this meeting and, and buy into something that I don't even know about, something that I, I'm turned off by? How do we get that buy-in from those people? And that is a problem. A lot of candidates go knock on every single door they can during campaign mode, but you don't never see those people again once they assume office. Yeah. And I know that <laughs> Apple Valley going to be sick of me because I'm still going to keep knocking and stuff. Um, and we have to bring City Hall to the community. That's it right there, man. You know, so, That's it, Christian. so I, and I, and I get it. Like things are limited right now. Um, but for example, a good, you know, friend of mine, I consider him like a mentor. He's a city council member in, in Maryland. Uh, his team, he's always posting on Facebook. And I'm sure he's always posting on Instagram and all the other media platforms too. And I'm here and I'm seeing it, mm -hmm. you know? And it's not just because we're friends. So I'm like, I know if I'm seeing it, then people in Maryland are seeing it. Right. And the people who I follow, if I share, you know, share, tag, or do whatever, they can see that too. But he's finding a way to bring it to. And it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Politics is not for people until they're impacted by it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. We, we can let that marinate in. But the reason I say that is because um, I never in my life been the most political. But when I started having discussions about, okay, we have this 
you know, this amount of money and this amount of people could eat. Then it's like, oh, this is a real thing. I need to be here. I need to be present here. I need to be involved. I need to communicate with that family. I need to be in these meetings and communicate with those families when I'm hearing in the meetings. Mm -hmm. So it's like, um, and, you know, there's some things you just can't share because they're not closed yet. So there's some stuff you can't necessarily do that, you know, CA agreements or whatever. But the little information you do have, say, look, I don't know if this is a final, but this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I want you to know that these are some of the things that's being talked about on your behalf. Yeah. And on behalf of your community, because here's here's the thing, Christian, uh, whether you all realize it or not, this is the reality. There are people sitting at a table discussing your future right now, probably as we speak somewhere across the country. There's a meeting definitely happening about funding (laughs) for an organization that you're a part of. Um, additional uh, stimulus packages, additional support for people who are going to be laid off because of COVID-19 and the new restrictions that are coming down from various different states. There are people like you and I, but are in, in, in legislative positions, regular people, having conversations about your life and what your life is going to look like in the next couple of months, if not a year. If not a lifetime. Man, uh, <laughs> How do we get more ADOS people to the table? I mean, and, and maybe that could be a, a topic for, for another show. Mm-hmm. But like I, I think, in essence, when I'm thinking about my life and what I've inspired to do, mm-hmm. I think it just boils down to that. Like, how do I get ADOS people a seat at the table? And how do I get us to be more involved in the everyday decisions that are being made on our behalf? I think we've struggled with that as a group of people for so long that Mm -hmm. everyone else makes decisions on our behalf, but we're not included. At least the community, not in whole. How do we change that? I know. And uh, this is just a quick answer for, you know, viewers and listeners. You have to start by subscribing. That's that's the first step. Start subscribing. Um, Another step is reach out. You know, like really send send Elijah some some mail and say, oh, you know, c- scenarios. I have people looking to get into the political realm. Do you have any resources? Do you know Do you know anybody within the city who could help us get this started? Who, you know, and maybe maybe it's a money thing. Financial literacy and money problems are, are always going to be there. But if there's a vision that somebody has, reach out. Um, you never know until you ask. And um, if that answer is no, it's not a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and just like I don't you see said, why it would be no here though. It's not no, going to be no, no here. No, absolutely. But not. I'm just saying, if you're being told no and you took it to somebody else, that's probably not the right person for you. Right. And just like you said earlier, we'll implement now and we'll discuss the details on the back end. Yeah. If if the issue you got a good idea, but the issue in your mind is the funding, don't worry about that. I tell people that I have conversations with all the time. Like, don't worry about the, the money thing. I know traditionally that that's been like a barrier for a lot of people. Like, oh, my God, I got this great idea, but it's going to cost me $10,000 and I barely got 500 in my bank account. Write it anyway. Write it. <laughs> write it anyway. Put it in writing um, and put a budget to it. Period. And then we'll find the money. It's money out there. I tell people all the time, it's money out there. Come up with the idea. Be specific about it. Come up with a budget. How much you think this would cost? What's the outcome going to be? And we'll find the money for it. Yep. And if <laughs> and if your vision is to take care of other people, you would be taken care of. That I would say. 
that I would say if it's if it's the right vision and you know it's no funny business happening, there's a lot of people willing to not only invest in a program like that, but to invest in you. So think of it as an investment in you. But in order for you to be invested in, you must invest in yourself. And and we talked about a lot on the on today's podcast. Um, and I love the way our brains work. It complements each other because I'm all <laughs> over the place, but we we are organized to us. <laughs> and if y'all watching, go back a, a couple uh, minutes and then just tune in and y'all can just um, take some time to watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I think in essence, what we talked about today is really um, removing some of those barriers that you place on yourself, that fear factor, remove that factor of fear. Don't be afraid to fall, Right. And just because you don't win at something doesn't mean that you lost. You only lose when you don't try and you put your 100% effort into it. I mean, does that pretty much summarize some of the key things that we talked about? I I think so. And if you do not pass something, you did not fail it. You know, it's just, it's, it's that simple, you know, and you just have to figure out a way to tough it out. Keep going. Find other people who failed at something because they're probably people who fell back in the day are really successful now. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And continue to seek information. Be active as much as you can. And if you can't be active and you you just want people to inform you of what's going on, reach out to the ADOS podcast. Um, I'm always available to give people information. Um, we're going to be working on um, compiling a lot of local information and data around Mm COVID-19 on our various different channels. So you can have that information out there to keep you and your loved ones safe. We're also going to be listing additional resources for those who may have business ideas, but don't know where to go. All right. Well, how can we connect you to some startups? Right. Uh, Because there's plenty out there that you can get connected with. If you need assistance with grant writing and things of that sort, who can we connect you with resources for those things? Um, and we discussed this when we first started doing these podcasts, man, like really, I want this to be a space for people in a community to get information from resources from and feel like they have a place, you know, and it's it's for ADOS people. Mm -hmm. And we need to have platforms like this. They're going to keep it real, talk about what's happening in the community and actually have some action behind it. So I gave you guys some action things that you can do. Mm -hmm. You can write us on Instagram at the ADOS podcast. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at the ADOS podcast. You can go on Facebook, like us on Facebook, follow our page on Facebook. You can also send messages through that platform at the ADOS podcast. We have various different platforms for a reason. We want you all to be able to reach us no matter where you are, wherever you're getting your information from, we're going to be there. I I suppose we should probably get a Twitter. (laughs) I'm not really big into Twitter, but we'll work on it. If you guys just want to reach us on Twitter, we'll get a Twitter soon. We're going to be accessible, right? We want to be one of those podcasts where we're constantly looking at comments. We're interacting with people who interact with us. And we're going to continue to do outreach in the community to get you all more connected with what's going on. Change starts locally. I say that a lot on this podcast. It's something I'm going to continue to say. We can focus on what's happening on the federal level all we want. But the reality is there's decisions happening every day in the city and on a county and the state level that are impacting us a lot more than on the federal level. Yes, they're all intertwined. Yes, it's it's important. But let's start paying attention to what's happening on the local level because um, that's where true change starts. And 
thank you, Christian, for coming on again. Um, yeah. I'm thinking this co-hosting thing, uh, <laughs> we might need to accelerate that process. <laughs> so we, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have Christian come back on. Um, I enjoy the yeah. conversation. Again, yeah, before you, you, before you close, yep, just yep. really quickly, um, as we're talking about the subscribing and being more involved, if you are someone with a platform, please come on and share what you do for the community and what you have going on in the community because you you have a voice and your voice matters. So if you feel like it's small, just come on, you know, have a sit down and meet with Elijah and meet the producers. And I get it. A lot of people aren't comfortable with cameras. I'm not that comfortable with cameras myself. But when you have something to share that could help somebody who looks up to you, who watches you, who see you as a role model, you have to you have to um, communicate that platform mm-hmm. because it does tremendous wonders for the people around you and for you too. It's a win win for everyone. And all it take all it takes is one person to watch the podcast, see what you're doing, to be able to get your contact information. Because I always like people to leave their contact when they're on the show, mm-hmm. and they can reach out to you and they can help you elevate your platform. I mean, it just takes one person. You know, uh, email, uh, <laughs> whatever, you know, if someone say they're invested in the community, hold them accountable and see how invested they are. And on that note, I would say happy holidays. Um, yeah. Uh, Minnesota Rapid Response Coalition. I have to I have to say this because it's holiday. Ahead. They're doing a free turkey giveaway. I wish I had the address. But if you're on Facebook, just um, reach out to Alexander Bourne, Minnesota Rapid Response Coalition. They're doing a food drive in St. Paul. And um, go get some of the food and just see what they have going on. Uh, actually, hold on one second, y'all. I'm going to pull up the Oh, yeah, that's even better. We're in, we're in no rush. Thank you for technology. <laughs> um, I want to make sure people can get, get some food. Mm-hmm. So the address is 719, that's 719 Payne Avenue, St. Paul, Minnesota, Zip code five five one three zero. It's gonna be November twenty sixth from one p.m. to six p.m. Um, they're doing a Thanksgiving to go dinner. Mm-hmm. So wear your mask, sanitize up, get some gloves on if you can. Go out and get you a plate of food so everyone can eat during the holidays. Again, that address is seven nineteen Payne Avenue, St. Paul, Minnesota five five one three zero and then we'll be back on um hopefully soon to talk with you all about more resources that are in the community and um some support services out there for people who may be struggling um with rental eviction electricity bills Mm -hmm. access to paying their their tuition for the semester and also just need some additional support during these crazy times um especially because the mandate the mandate starts today and a lot of our bars restaurants gyms and then other um, businesses are going to be closing or limiting their hours. So that means reduced hours for workers or just unemployment. So we want to make sure people are going to be supported during these crazy times. So, mm-hmm. Peace, everyone. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye.